Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Announcing the NBA 2K20 Casino, but is it illegal? Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we are once again gambling, or at least talking about gambling, because who can really say what is gambling at this point in time? Because the video game industry is certainly trying to push the limits just a little bit on what gambling actually is. If you haven't been following the industry of late or for the past couple months, you may or may not have seen that the Federal Trade Commission did a workshop on whether loot boxes are gambling and whether they cause harm. You may have seen the UK Gambling Commission start talking about whether the card packs in FIFA are gambling. They determined that it was not. You may have seen Rockstar and their Grand Theft Auto V online project open up an actual casino that uses the currency that you can earn in Grand Theft Auto V and currency that you can buy through shark cards and otherwise on their store and uses them to gamble in their casino, whether that's gambling or not. We talked about that at length in virtual legality. And yesterday I received a note, and I'm going to give a hat tip here to Jason Rodemer, who sent me this note that basically said, hey, I'm not sure if you've covered this whole loot box controversy before. We have. But with, with... The release of NBA 2K20 coming up, where they are rating it E for everyone, they being the ESRB in this case, and it literally has gambling in it. I have questions. Angry Joe did a video stating it should be rated adult based on the ESRB guidelines because they are paying real money to buy in-game money and it has slot machines in it. That's not accurate, but we'll talk about that as part of this video and podcast. I know you have a lot of things you're doing, but I would love some more insight from a legal position on how and why it's not rated that way. And we'll get to the ESRB. We can talk about the ESRB question. The short answer to that, if you don't have any more time to watch this video or listen to this podcast, is that the ESRB is not a government entity. It can do what it wants. It's trying to maintain certain rules and regulations for how it decides on what rating a game should get, but it can determine these things on its own. And it actually has a category for non-direct real gambling that it could have used, which I don't think it is using. And we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, And then he says, love your videos. I'd be interested in what you have to say on this topic. And so I said, okay, all right, Jason, let's talk about that in virtual legality. Because as I said, we did a video on this topic with respect to Rockstar opening up that online casino that uses virtual currency, doesn't use real money directly, but you can buy additional virtual currency as real money. And we talked about why that wasn't probably gambling under the current set of laws in the United States and in the various states. One of the things we mentioned as part of that video, and we will talk about again here, is that the United States doesn't have a great set of laws that actually govern all of this. 
Uh, they're basically still using some older laws that kind of can, can be tangentially applied to internet gambling and things of that nature. And a lot of the governance here, a lot of the regulatory framework is falling on the state. So we can't look at every state's rules, but for the most part, they follow some similar rubrics. So with that all being said, let's take a look at an example of the articles that were written about 2K20 yesterday. This is a basketball game. You wouldn't necessarily know it from some of the shots I'm going to show you here, but this is an article from Vice. It says, not content with just loot boxes, NBA 2K20 has actual casino games. And it says, as its subtitle here, gambling regulators don't watch this, gamers, hello. Uh, and so you can see exactly what kind of bent this article is going to have is they're going to say that this is gambling. And certainly we look at the first shot here. That's a slot machine. It looks like you match up three things. You wind up getting a specific card out of it. It looks like there are gems in this particular case. They talk about uh, Pachinko and some other things that are generally thought of as gambling games. And they say, as the start of their article, you may as well smoke them if you got them, according to a breathtaking new ad for NBA 2K20's increasingly casino-like My Team feature released today. Pachinko, they've got it. Just look at the fun 2K YouTubers like Cash Nasty are having with it. The slots are loose and you just have to cup your hands and start scooping the Hall of Famers off the floor. Go on, give that wheel a spin, find out what's in the box. And be sure to notice timed My Team events like Token Mania. There might be some basketball in there too, maybe. And they go on to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about in this video. So I don't want to actually describe their entire article. If you like this, absolutely give it a click. We'll put the link in our description. But basically the concept is this. This looks like gambling. These are slot machines. This is a pachinko table. This is a wheel of fortune. Whatever else it might be, it certainly looks like what gambling looks like in the real world. The issue is, is that in video games, that's never actually been a problem. Uh, you know, I, I've obviously been gaming a long time, and I remember Super Nintendo games that had casino elements in them. Uh, you could go in, you could try to make your way and become the king of Las Vegas in certain Super Nintendo games, certain Game Boy games, I believe, had, uh, had gambling elements in them as well. And the difference, of course, is that we now have this slightly attenuated link to real money. Now, obviously, if you're going to play a Super Nintendo game, you're going to play a Game Boy game, you had to buy that hopefully you had to buy it. You didn't steal it or do anything else with it, but you had to buy that game. You put money down on the line and then you get the enjoyment of playing that game as you go forward. But back in those days, you didn't have an online, always on connection to the internet that they could sell you additional currency to make your game a little easier, to give you a little bit more time playing that game. Now we do. And the law really isn't built to accommodate that concept. So when you see a lot of this kind of hemming and hawing and vice and elsewhere, one of the things you're seeing is just a general kind of knee-jerk reaction to, hey, that looks like a casino and casinos are bad. But one of the things that legislatures have to ask, one of the things that regulators have to ask is, you know, why are they bad? And for the most part, the reason that the United States, at least, has determined that gambling is bad is because people can hurt themselves by losing something of value more than they thought they would otherwise lose. In this case, we're looking now at USC 315362, which is just definitions technically in the Prohibition on Funding of Unlawful Internet Gambling Act, which is designed to really attack kind of wire transfers that facilitate gambling. Like I said, this is all very Byzantine. You really need to have an entire law school course or maybe even an entire professorial academic career talking about these things and what it looks like under federal law right now. But what we can take from this is one of the things that we talked about when talking about the Rockstar Casino, and that is, what's a bet? Because all of these things are going to relate to what gambling actually is. What's a bet or wager? 
And we see here the definition that they put forth is, it means the staking or risking by any person of something of value upon the outcome of a contest of others, a sporting event or a game subject to chance, like a pachinko, like a ball drop, like a wheel of fortune, like a slot machine, upon an agreement or understanding that the person or another person, somebody else that you're acting on their behalf, will receive something of value in the event of a certain outcome. Now, if you've followed any of these discussions online at all, you know this is the crux of the discussion points that the ESA is having, the ESRB, the FTC, Loot Box Workshop, everybody else, Vice, Kotaku, Polygon, anyone's talking about these issues is really conceptually talking about whether something of value is actually being wagered. And the argument that this should be regulated basically is premised on this. Okay, you want to say that this thing doesn't have value. We're going to look at the terms and conditions that 2K and Take-Two uses to establish that it doesn't have value. You want to say that something doesn't have value. But in that case, why would people spend money on it? It has some value to the people that are spending money on buying this virtual currency. So the thing they're betting has some kind of value. Now, what they get out of it, does that have value? And you have to ask yourself the same question. What is compelling people to pull the lever on the slot machine, to drop that ball on the pachinko board, or to spin that wheel if they don't think they will get something of value out of it? And to be honest, from a philosophical, conceptual standpoint, I think that's a good argument. After all, you aren't do- doing this thing. You aren't going to act in this way if you don't think you're going to get some of it, something out of it at the end of the day. Unfortunately, that's not the way the laws have generally been understood. Generally, these things have referred to monetary value, that essentially when you purchase a piece of virtual currency, if you purchase anything that can't otherwise be exchanged for money somewhere else, then the law doesn't so much care because you were exchanging it from the first minute for something that doesn't have value. The law essentially doesn't recognize that those ones and zeros for a Kobe Bryant are different from those ones and zeros for insert player that you really didn't want here or insert somebody else if you really didn't want Kobe Bryant. And so if the law doesn't distinguish between those two things, what the ESA and what these developers and publishers are able to say is, look, you spend those $5, that was for entertainment value. That's like buying a ticket to the movies. After the movie is over, you don't have anything in your pocket. You don't have anything that you lost more than the $7 here in Michigan or the $15 for my brother lives in California to go to that movie. You knew what you were buying when you did it. And hey, if you want to see another movie, you buy another ticket. That's what we're selling here is an entertainment experience. And sure, if you spin that wheel and you get a few more tokens or you get something that you really wanted, maybe you're happier. Just like you're happier if you went and you saw Endgame instead of seeing Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. One movie is great, another movie is horrible. And then if you didn't like the movie that you got, you can't go get a refund, usually. If you're really badger them, sometimes you can get a refund or if you know the manager at the movie theater. But in general, it's understood that you're buying two hours of entertainment. It's not necessarily something that you will like. In the same instance, if you're buying this virtual currency and you're going and you're putting it in a slot machine in 2K20 land, you understand that you bought that virtual currency. It could do something. It could not. But at no point can you get money out of it. As a matter of fact, we can go, we can look at some of the terms and conditions. I've pulled up the 2K terms and conditions. This is the publisher of the game. It says all in-game virtual currency and or virtual goods may be consumed or lost by players in the course of gameplay according to the game's rules applicable to currency and goods, which 
may vary. See the EULA at Take-Two Games. So they basically say, hey, you can win this. You can lose this. We need to reserve the right to essentially change what it's worth uh, because this is all licensed to you. And we've talked at length in virtual legality about how software and the digital world is licensed and not sold to you in general, that you have rights of access and not ownership. But they say, hey, things can happen to this virtual currency. It is not real world money. And they kick that over to the EULA, which is the end user license agreement that Take-Two, their parent company has. And I've pulled that all up. Now, this has a very long section on virtual currency and virtual goods. I don't want to bore you to tears. I will link this in the description, of course. But the highlighted language is where we really want to focus our interest. The software may enable users to use fictional virtual currency as a medium of exchange exclusively within the software and gain access to virtual goods within the software. Regardless of the terminology used, VC and VG, that's currency and goods, represent a limited license right governed by this agreement. Now, that's important for them. They need to be able to change those license rights. Essentially, they need to be able to say, we are turning the servers off. And if you have $1,000 in virtual currency or virtual goods, we're very sorry, but we've put in our terms and conditions, we can turn the game off when we need to. And people, I think, are learning that lesson as we go forward into the digital age. But it still creates these kinds of interesting news items when a company says they're going to turn their servers off, particularly if they're earlier than expected. You know, if a game doesn't catch hold and they turn the servers off within a year and you thought you had time to maybe buy some stuff and enjoy yourself in that game, that's become a higher higher level news item uh, in the recent past. Continuing with their terms and conditions, VC and VG do not have an equivalent value in real currency and do not act as a substitute for real currency. You acknowledge and agree that licensor may revise or take action that impacts the perceived value of or purchase price for any VC and or VG at any time, except as prohibited by applicable law. In other words, they can say, hey, we sold a thousand jewels to you for $10 yesterday. We can make it $1 tomorrow. You don't have a cause of action against us. That's very similar to a retailer, right? Generally speaking, you don't have a cause of action against that retailer, although you could wind up feeling pretty bad about that retailer if they change something and they don't help you out. They don't give you something back. And they basically reserve that right because they need to be able to turn the servers off. They need to be able to run sales. They need to be able to change things. Sometimes they'll change things about what the good actually does. They'll try to balance it for player versus player or whatever it is, and you will have earned that in some way. You will have spent virtual currency. You will have just grinded it out by playing hours and hours of the game, and you won't like that nerf. But they need to be able to use these license terms in order to balance the game as they see fit. You don't have to like it. In fact, I don't like it in a number of instances. And you can say, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to play 2K20. But they want to sell this product. And if you agree to their terms, that's the product you're buying. And at the end of the day, I talked about tickets. I talked about movies. I talked about what you like and what you don't like. I mean, one of the questions that comes up and we've talked about it in virtual legality at length is, should people be able to do this if they want to do it? And certainly Senator Hawley, some other places like Vice or Kotaku or Polygon, they tend to go straight for the for the children argument. And I tend to think that that's a little bit disingenuous, that there are places online, there are places in the adult world where you should be able to do what you want with your own money. And if you want to buy virtual jewels to buy a Kobe Bryant jersey for your creative player in 2K20, who am I to stop you? And that's where the argument about the ESRB comes in. Now, the ESRB isn't a regulatory agency, right? They just put E is for everyone or T is for teen or M is for mature or what have you on the box. And that was designed back in the 90s to make sure the government didn't step in and start trying to regulate their product. 
But the ESRB is ultimately a function of these developers and publishers to try to get these games out to the most people as possible while not offending the government, not offending parent groups and trying to make things as calm and still the waters as much as they can. So they're essentially a kind of quasi-political entity, not in terms of being elected or having a regulatory power, but in terms of having to try to manage these different stakeholders and constituent groups and make them all happy while not upsetting any one of them to the extent that they call in the government and start having bills passed. And we're right at the edge there, right? In virtual legality, we've talked about Senator Hawley, we've talked about loot boxes, we've talked about all these things at length. And the reason we have done that is because a lot of these video game companies are testing their boundaries. And I certainly think, more than anything else, that video, the way that 2K20 is positioning this game, is absolutely testing the boundaries, right? You say, okay, UK Gambling Commission, these packs for FIFA, they're not gambling. What if we make those packs open by way of slot machine? Now, technically speaking, the legal analysis there doesn't change. If the UK Gambling Commission has determined that something of value is not changing hands, the fact that a slot machine is put into the middle of that transaction doesn't change the legal analysis. It simply doesn't. It looks a lot worse. And I think it encourages the various regulators to start saying, hey, maybe we need to change the law here. But that has to go through the legislature. And that's an entirely different question. Is there a political appetite to come after this industry right now when there are other things, there are other fish to fry, as you might say, and it's certainly an election year coming up next year. So I think a lot of these developers and publishers that like these monetization strategies want to see this more and more in their games are testing the boundaries a little bit. Going forward with just a few more items from the Take Two Terms and Conditions, it says the licensor shall establish a maximum amount you may spend to purchase VC per transaction and or per day, which may vary depending on the associated software. So that's kind of a protective provision, right? That's Take Two Interactive saying, all right, we're going to put a max on this stuff so you can't over lose your virtual currency. We're trying to show that we are reasonable, responsible adults in the room. I don't know what maximum, if any, they've said will be set for their basketball game or whether they've set maximums for their prior basketball games. Although I note from a lawyer's point of view, this says the licensor shall establish and not may establish. So that actually obligates them in their own terms and conditions to say that they are going to set a maximum amount of virtual currency that you can buy. I also noted a few other things here. It says, for example, you may lose VC or VG upon the loss of a game or the death of your character. I don't know if that's ever been implemented, but they basically say, hey, this currency can go away. Even if you spend real money on it, it can go away if you die in the game. Probably not in the basketball game, probably more of the Grand Theft Autos of the world, but it can also die if you lose a, a basketball game. So your virtual currency maybe has a minus 10 on it if you lose a basketball game and a plus 100 if you win it. That's an interesting kind of concept to say, hey, even if you bought this for real money, it can go away. And then finally, it's non-redeemable. This is really the importance. This is where the rubber hits the road. VC and VG have no cash value and neither licensor nor any other person or entity has any obligation to exchange your VC or VG for anything of value, including but not limited to real currency. In other words, they're, they're trying to establish here, whatever we're doing with this, whatever virtual currency is, you can't interpret it as having separate value because you can't get it out again. Now, I did find a case which I thought was interesting while looking at some of this stuff, while looking at this stuff from the ESRB's perspective. It's a case that's currently kind of winding its way through the courts for years and years and years. This is actually from March of last year. This is a case called Cater versus Churchill Downs. It re relates to an online casino game called Big Fish Casino. If you're familiar with the Big Fish brand, it's kind of cute, primarily PC and mobile-based stuff. But here is how they describe what their actual determination is. Now, 
This is the Ninth Circuit. This isn't all of the country. This is a very specific. This is the west of the United States. And the Ninth Circuit is very populous, so it makes a lot of decisions. Uh, but it also makes a lot of decisions that wind up getting overturned by the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court's unlikely to take up any of this for a very, very long time. Uh, but I just want to put that down as background because this is a fairly novel decision that I have seen in the gambling sphere. But I think it matches up with some of the complaints that people are making. I wanted to bring it to your attention. So it says... This panel reverses the district court's dismissal of the plaintiff's case. And the plaintiff was basically claiming that they had $1,000 worth of chips, which was virtual currency that they could use in the Big Fish online casino. And uh, they uh, thought it was gambling and that they lost it in some fashion. And so the panel held that the virtual chips extended the privilege of playing Big Fish Casino. That's important. They determined that the, the chips extended the privilege of, pay, uh, of playing, right? And they said that fell within the Washington definition of thing of value. Washington essentially following a lot of the language we see in other states that basically determines when a bet has happened, if a thing of value has been wagered and a thing of value has been won or lost. And they said that these virtual chips that extended the privilege of playing did constitute a thing of value, much to the dismay of the big fish people at Churchill Downs. And I thought that was interesting. This is still just kind of a remand. This is still very much in play for what will ultimately happen to the disposition of the case. And so this isn't at all finished. And I could find a number of other cases. I could find dozens of other cases that essentially come to the opposite determination that says, since the terms of service say they can't be changed into real currency, they don't, they aren't a thing of value. The thing I find interesting here, and it's not really covered in that summary so much, is I do think this has the one quality that we would expect something to have if you are going to lose this case on gambling. And that's a secondary market. It says, while the court's trying to dismiss the terms of service kind of argument, it says Big Fish Casino's terms of use, which users must accept before playing any game, state that virtual chips have no monetary value and cannot be exchanged for cash or any other tangible value. But, the but is big here, Big Fish Casino does contain a mechanism for transferring chips between users, which can be utilized to cash out winnings. In other words, once a user sells her chips on a secondary black market outside Big Fish Casino, you use a different service to essentially sell your account chips, then the users, the app's internal mechanism can allow a purchaser to transfer them to the other, the other buyer of their account. And then the, the plaintiff alleges that Churchill Downs profits from tr such transfers because it charges the transaction fee priced in the virtual gold for all such transfers. In other words, Cater alleges that Churchill Downs facilitates the process, because it's incentivized to, of players cashing out their winnings. Probably would have put quotes on cashing out there. But that's what we always see on this. I had another interaction on social media, on my Twitter. Follow me at, at Hoaglaw. Uh, just at Hoaglaw on Twitter. And the question was, if loot boxes are gambling, are magic cards gambling, are baseball cards gambling? And the answer is probably maybe to the extent that someone determines that loot boxes are. But the real issue is, is that you don't have necessarily a, a cash out kind of feature. You can have a secondary market in existence because nobody can stop all black markets. That's really not necessarily on the developer of the game or the seller of the trading cards to do, although they you see other instances where like Valve is asked to watch their markets and who's profiting off of Counter-Strike and things like that. But in the case of Magic or in the case of baseball cards, you sell a pack, the person knows they're getting 11 cards. They know they're getting however many commons and however many uncommons and however many rare cards. The fact that one rare is valued over another, technically from the publisher's point of view, is neither here nor there. You are getting an exactitude for what you exchanged for value and you're not gambling according to them. Now the secondary market exists and one rare is a hundred times more valuable than the other. 
So you wind up seeing that these publishers, the developers of the games, they work very hard to not, quote unquote, facilitate the secondary market. Because it's important to avoid the, the kind of concept that you are facilitating gambling by allowing the facilitation of the secondary market. So you don't see Wizards of the Coast helping out the secondary market in Magic Cards. You don't see Tops or whoever else is selling baseball cards now facilitating those secondary markets. They exist. These companies benefit from them because that's the, some of the value. Some of the people that are buying these cards value them for that secondary market purpose. But they aren't facilitating gambling in the eyes of the law because they aren't helping that secondary market to come into existence. In this particular case, I think probably the plaintiff has a better claim than you might see in other instances if this is in fact true, that the Big Fish app itself helped facilitate the moving of chips between players. And then obviously that's going to help the existence of a secondary market. And certainly the other things, cards and magic and baseball, they should be aware of decisions like this, even in the digital sphere, because to the extent that you are helping people establish that secondary market, a court could turn around and hold that you are gambling. So I wanted to bring that to your attention because it was kind of one of the first instances that I have seen of somebody essentially taking the thing of value concept and applying it to the extension of playing time in a game, which would obviously apply Two things like potentially loot boxes, certainly if you're going to have a slot machine that can pay out in, in additional virtual currency, for instance, uh, as I think happens in uh, certainly in Grand Theft Auto 5, maybe in NBA 2K20, then this becomes an issue. But I think even though the court doesn't really make this link I explicit, that the existence of the facilitation of the secondary market is really part of the story. And if you aren't doing that, and I don't believe there's any indication that I've received from 2K20 or elsewhere that they're facilitating transfers of accounts or anything like that, then maybe you don't have this issue as much as other places. As I said, there are a number of states, there are a number of circuits that have talked about the terms of use, have talked about the contractual elimination of value from anything that you can get from virtual currency or virtual goods, and have established that that is sufficient to get yourself outside of the gambling laws, which doesn't mean that that's right. One of the things I would ask you to take away from virtual legality, this video, this podcast, this series in general, is that when I describe the law, when I talk about what it is, sometimes I editorialize and pontificate about what it should be. But when I actually talk about what it is, that is not a determination of what the law should be. Absolutely advocate for change if that's what you see fit to do. In this particular case, the law as it stands is not a great fit for handling what is currently happening in the monetization sphere of the video game industry. And the developers and publishers know this. Some of them are more coy about it. Some of them really want to press the issue. I think when you press the issue, there are a couple things that can happen. Sure, gambling regulators, the legislature could come down hard on you. Or you could essentially be given a free pass. You could actually have someone come down and say, as a specific determination, this is not gambling when somebody challenges you on it. The UK Gambling Commission saying specifically that the FIFA Ultimate Team stuff is not gambling is pretty useful to Electronic Arts. It's pretty useful to people that want to sell products like that in the United Kingdom because now they know that the commission on its whole doesn't think that's gambling. Right now, it's kind of a gray area because the legislature isn't really talking about it a lot. You've got different circuit decisions, as we just read about. And who knows what the future holds on that? 2K wants a little bit of clarity. They want to push buttons. They want to press the envelope. And I think they're doing that. They got a lot of publicity for this game in the articles that I saw just checking up on this video in the past two or three hours or so. And the last thing I wanted to talk about was really the question that brought this to my attention, the question that was asked of me, which is why is the ESRB doing this? Why isn't it doing something more? And I think the answer to that is because they don't have to. So you see here, They've got content descriptors up. This is the description of when they just put a simple phrase on the box. This is what it means. And they say, simulated gambling, 
is that a player can gamble without betting or wagering real cash or currency. Now, I think of simulated gambling, and I think of those games on the Super Nintendo. I think of those games on the Game Boy. I also think of games like Red Dead Redemption 2, right? That game came out, was on a lot of Game of the Year lists last year. One of the things you can do in that game is you can go, you can play, you can bet your fake money that you've earned in-game, and you can bet it on blackjack, you can bet it on poker, I think you can bet it on whether or not you stab yourself with a knife, that kind of thing. And that, to me, that's simulated gambling. I don't think it hurts anyone necessarily, but it's simulated gambling. And if you are sensitive to essentially uh, the argument that you can inoculize people to what gambling is by having it come in the back door of games like this, probably you shouldn't be playing Red Dead Redemption 2 for any number of reasons if you're worried about kind of youthful impression. But if you are worried about that just as a general argument, I would have, I would have expected simulated gambling to be referenced there. And the ESRB distinguishes that from real gambling, which says players can gamble, including betting or wagering real cash or currency. That's the specific definition the ESRB uses. Now, again, you can challenge this definition. You can say the ESRB is not being careful enough, that it should maybe have something in here that allows for the two-step process where you buy virtual currency and you can bet that virtual currency and then you can rebuy and that you are essentially affecting gambling through what amounts to a proxy currency. But it doesn't right now. Players can gamble, including betting or wagering real cash or currency. And so while including is not exclusive, that's not the only thing that could possibly fall under the concept of gambling. I think it's pretty clear that the ESRB doesn't think that what is happening right now in that space is gambling, doesn't think loot boxes are real gambling. I think you can make a better argument that they are all simulated gambling, but certainly not real gambling. And one of the reasons that that's obvious is if you actually look at how they describe what their adults only kind of label is, and this is a big one because for the most part, retail shelves are not available for anything that is labeled adults only. You can't find it at the Walmart. You can't find it at the Target. You can't find it at the GameStop if they're still around by the time you watch this video. And so if you're labeled adults only, that's essentially kind of a a scarlet letter. You can't sell your game in most reputable locations. So they say adults only, content suitable only for adults ages 18 and up, may include prolonged scenes of intense, violent, graphic sexual content and or gambling with real currency. So regardless of the definition that they use to describe real gambling, you only fall under the adults only bucket if you gamble with real currency. And we look down here, immature. We don't see anything that actually labels something as mature that relates to gambling. It says may contain violence, blood and gore, sexual content, and or strong language. We go down to teen, may contain violence, suggestive themes, crude language, crude humor, minimal blood, simulated gambling, and or infrequent use of strong language. So that's your teen label. Now the question was, the question that was raised to me is 2K20 is labeled as E is for everyone because it's a basketball game. Of course it's E is for everyone, except I think there's a legitimate argument here to be made to the ESRB that you pull a thing on a slot machine and regardless of whether you want to argue the fact that it's real money or not, I think you lose that argument. But if you want to argue it, that's fine. And it should be AO if that's where you want to argue. If you lose that argument, I think there's a stronger argument, a much more compelling argument that you've got slot machines, you've got pachinko, you've got everything else. This game should be teen. And to some extent, that is deleterious to your sales. Maybe not as much as mature, maybe not as much, certainly not as much as adults only. But to the extent you want to sell it to mom and pop who don't otherwise care, a teen symbol may dissuade some people from buying the game. And I think you've got an excellent argument that the ESRB should be putting simulated gambling on these things that use especially uh, the kind of optical elements that relate to Las Vegas or Reno or wherever else you might find your gambling establishments. 
So I think that's an excellent argument. You look for E and it basically says generally suitable for everyone, minimal cartoon fantasy or mild violence. That's why most sports wind up here, uh, even though you could make arguments about football and hockey and things like that. Teen, I think, is the right place for something that is actually using what we see in that 2K20 trailer. And so I think that that argument is reasonable. I don't think it deserves a mature or an adults only. I don't think that, I think it was mentioned, Angry Joe said that it did. I don't think that's what this actually says. Adults only really specifically talks about gambling with real currency. And that's not happening here because if it were, real currency would have no meaning. Obviously, virtual currency has to have some meaning in terms of how you're interpreting this language. And so it clearly can't be adults only to this lawyer's eyes. Uh, But teen seems to be the place where it will wind up. The last thing I wanted to mention here, we talked about Red Dead Redemption 2. One of the things that surprised me, I was looking at this because I was interested in where the ESRB was using its simulated gambling concept. And it seems to me that for the most part, looking at a bunch of these, I've got the Red Dead Redemption 2 explanation up here. You can see all the bad things you can do in Red Dead Redemption 2. It's labeled mature, and it's labeled mature for the following reasons. Blood and gore, intense violence, nudity, sexual content, strong language, and use of drugs and alcohol. And as I understand it, I look at this and I say, okay, so I guess for the most part, you're only concerned if you're the ESRB with kind of even saying that there's simulated gambling, if you're only up at like the teen level. Like once you're at mature, we don't need to mention that as much because if it's in it, it doesn't matter to you. But I can I could see somebody complaining about this, right? Red Dead Redemption 2 absolutely should, at nothing else, have simulated gambling labeled here. It actually has you sitting at a poker table, playing poker and wagering money for winnings or for losses. And so it has simulated gambling by every reasonable definition of the phrase. And the ESRB appears to have determined that because that's kind of the lesser evil of all these other things that make it mature, we don't even need to list it. And I think that's probably a legitimate gripe with the ESRB system, that if you have a particular sensitivity to, say, gambling but not use of alcohol, you should know that gambling is in this game. And right now, the ESRB doesn't tell you that, even at the mature level. And so I would be interested in seeing if anything happens with respect to these kinds of complaints to have simulated gambling referenced more, have these things that are from E to everyone bumped up to T for teen, and maybe even in mature rated games to have more sensitivity for people that are concerned about gambling in their video games to make sure that they are labeled, even if from the ESRB's perspective, it's like, hey, if you're gunning down people in the streets of this old West town, you really care about the poker game? I think some people are. And the ESRB's job is really to kind of itemize what issues a game might have that people might be sensitive to. So I think this gambling issue is going to continue to rear its head in the video game industry. I think there are a number of places that it can be better thought of, better handled in the industry, in the ESRB, in the ESA. But for right now, the question was posed to me, the legal situation, I do not think that right now it rises to the level of a thing of value, although we looked at that Washington case where you've got at least one court saying that maybe it might. I don't think it rises to that level. I don't think it's formal gambling. I do think it's simulated gambling. And if it is simulated gambling, I think the E for everyone label is incorrect. It's inappropriate for that game. And I would advocate for it to get a T for teen. Uh, And that's my opinion. That's only an opinion because this isn't a legal concept in terms of what the ESRB should do. Uh, But everywhere else, it is a legal discussion. And I think if you're at all interested in these topics, look at the links in the description to this video. Look at some of the laws. And by all means, send me a note on social media about things you want me to discuss in virtual legality or questions that you have. I obviously love talking about these things. And the video game industry is going through a period of change. And certainly as these developers and publishers continue to push the envelope, we are going to see whether or not 
Washington, D.C., some of these other state capitals and their legislatures have an appetite for hitting video games harder than they are currently hit in their existing gambling regimes. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you like this video, please like, please subscribe. I love getting subscribers. I love getting likes, obviously. If you disagree, let me know in the comments as well. I love having those discussions because they're interesting to me as well. If you saw this on video on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. If you listen to it on a podcast, thank you so much for listening. Please do share it around with anybody you think might be interested. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.